0: That's investher, H-E-R, con.com, promo code 100, best ever to get $100 off your ticket.
1: I tell that because I want people to understand, to think things through, everything that you do, your gut is a great indicator. And if you're in a situation where you're having a hard time making a choice or a decision, reach out for help. And talk
0: to Quick disclaimer the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever, we don't get into any fluffy stuff what to say Mike Morawski how you doing Mike I'm doing great Joe how are you I am doing well and looking forward to our conversation a little bit about Mike he has 30 years of real estate experience he's raised 18 million dollars acquired 60 million in assets 4000 apartments in 5 states and managed 7500 units came across a major challenge in his life in 2010 which he'll talk about And he's based in Chicago, Illinois, and his website, is the best website, MyCoreIntentions.com? That is, Joe. Yeah, that's the best way. Cool. Well, with that being said, Mike, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus?
1: Sure, absolutely. And hey, thanks for uh, having me here. I appreciate it. So as you said in my bio, I've been in real estate 30 years. I started out as a sales agent, and it's funny how I got into the space. I've always felt success leaves clues. And I happened to be in the construction business and I woke up one morning and I was just burned out. I couldn't do what I was doing anymore. I was still banging nails and we were doing room additions and kitchens and bath remodeling. I decided to sell my company and I took a year off. And during that year, I house hacked a couple of houses. Joe, this was long before house hacking was sexy or the thing to do, right? Mm -hmm. When was this? This was 1990, oh, 91. Yeah. So it was not the thing to be doing. So during that time, I house hacked and met a real estate agent who was extremely successful back then. And I went to him and said, Hey, Todd, I'd like to get in the real estate business. He goes, man, I think you'd be great at it. I think you have great skills and good sales skills. And I said, well, listen, can I shadow you? And he said, no. He goes, I'm not going to let you come into my office and walk around and follow me around. He goes, what I'm going to do is make a cassette tape for you. I said, okay, so this dates me a little bit. (laughs) I I,
0: I listened to cassettes back in the day too. Yeah. But
1: I don't think we could find something to make one on today. No, probably not. Nor would we want to. Right. Exactly. So anyhow, I equate that cassette to these podcasts just like this, Joe, because you can go back, you can listen to it over and over and over again. But I listened to that tape over and over. I wore it out. But I went in the real estate business. My first nine months in the business, I sold 78 single family homes, all for sale by owners. I went on and built a team selling over 125 homes a year. I did that for seven, eight years consecutively. And in 2005, I saw the market starting to shift. And when the market started shifting, I said, Man, I'm going to have to go do something else. So I'd always wanted to be in the apartment business. I'd done a lot of work when I was in the construction business for Inland. And Inland back then was just in the apartment business, just getting started. And today they're the largest REIT in the world, right? A real estate investment trust. And they're in 80 countries. And anyhow, I understood the model, Joe. I understood that if you raised private equity from family, friends, individuals, married it with a great real estate deal that you stayed in the middle. And as long as everything went well, everybody made money and everybody was happy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I went out, I raised $18 million, bought $60 million worth of real estate, and made 4,000 apartments in 30 months. And I went on, built a property management company managing 7,500 units. As a result of that, Today, fast forward, I'm in the coaching and training space. I think I've taken all my wisdom, knowledge, experience, good and bad, along the way, and put it on a platform to give back and help others. You were at 4,000 units. And what year was this? This was 2008, 2009. Right? 2008 or 9. Okay.
0: And was it from 2005 to 2008 or 9 where you got up to 4,000 units?
1: Yeah. And here, Joe, and a couple things along the way, right? First of all, I grew way too fast. I overscaled. 2007, I bought 17 deals for 2,700 units. And we never took the time to stabilize the deals. Mm -hmm. Plus I overpaid and I was over leveraged. So I had $60 million worth of real estate that I was leveraged at at 85% instead of 65 or 70%. I can't even understand why the banks would allow me to have done that when I look back, but they were throwing money at us back then.
0: What type of loans were they?
1: They were all commercial. You could go in and just basically say what you own, especially after I had my first 500, 700 units under my belt. Same bankers, same lender, just over and over again. Were the local banks? No, actually I used a lender out of Cincinnati, a broker. Mm -hmm. And we went to a couple of regional banks. So like I did a bunch in the Ohio Valley. So I used one was a regional bank. It was Huntington Mm -hmm. uh, National. And then when I had a big footprint down in the Dallas Fort Worth market, that was agency debt that we did down there. Okay. And then in the Alabama market where I also own property, that was all local. I had one agency debt deal down there though.
0: We'll get back to the show in just two minutes, but first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. One of the hardest tasks to balance while scaling your real estate investing business is accounting. Well, realestateaccounting.co takes care of the numbers for you so you can grow your business and revenue. REA helps property managers and investors save time and money by automating back office, financial, admin, and accounting. Starting is quick and seamless, from accounts payable to reconciliations, taxes, and reporting, go to realestateaccounting.co forward slash bestever to find out how REA clients save on average 30% by leveraging their accounting services versus hiring in-house. With CPAs on staff and being owner-operators themselves, REA knows the challenges of your growing real estate business. Try it risk-free at realestateaccounting.co forward slash bestever And remember to mention the Best Ever podcast sent you to receive up to $1,800 towards onboarding and services. That's realestateaccounting.co forward slash bestever. If you're not sure where to start investing or need help taking the next step, mentorship and coaching is one of the best ways to get going. Think Multifamily is a leading apartment acquisition and education company who provides true one-on-one coaching to help you invest for your family's future. Their servant leadership approach joint ventures, and resources all available through the coaching program. Go to thinkmultifamily.com forward slash coaching to learn how to become a member and get involved. We have the benefit of knowing what happened now, looking back in 2008, 2009, to most of the investors in the country, and that was, it wasn't good. So what happened to you then?
1: Like I said, I was unstable. 2008 came around. I'm having lunch with my CFO. We're sitting having lunch and watching the news happen to be on and watching people carry boxes out of Lehman Brothers by the droves. And I looked at my CFO and I said, man, we're screwed, aren't we? He goes, yeah, we're in big trouble. And why were you screwed? Were the properties not cash flowing? Well, very unstable. We knew that the markets were going to change, and we knew that there was going to be some kind of an impact in the market, but didn't really know what kind of an impact. So I was heavily invested in markets that were propelled by the car industry, by the transportation industry. Those were two of the biggest industries to get hit. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'll give you an example. I owned a deal in Anderson, Indiana. Anderson, Indiana, when I bought this deal, was the number one city in the country to raise your family in all these little small businesses in town supported the automotive industry. And what they did was they made parts. So they made radio knobs and dashboards, and they made seats and seat liners and beading. And when the market went away, these people all went out of business. They rolled up 30% of the businesses in town. My occupancies dropped from low 90s to mid seventies. I couldn't substantiate the drop. I couldn't pay the bills. We couldn't do the repairs. Right. People moved out. I had a property manager call me one day, Joe, in tears, Monday morning says, I have 32 moving trucks in the parking lot today. I don't have a scheduled move out for 45 days. How do you survive?
0: So as so, a Matt, result- So lack of diversification for employment industry in the market that you picked.
1: Right. So I had a number of deals that went bad. And instead of letting them just go to foreclosure and letting that handful of investors get hurt, I wanted to try and save everybody. So I'd been involved in recessions before. You see a recession, there's a 10% correction in the marketplace. It lasts 17, 18 months. This thing was 40%, Joe, and it went on for seven or eight years. So as a result of that, I tried to balance the ship. So I started to move money from companies that were operating really well into companies that weren't operating well. I had 38 different companies and started moving money back and forth. And I did it under the auspice that my attorney and my accountant both said, it's okay to do it. Just leave notes between the companies, which I did. Well, that was all fine. And that wasn't the problem. But the problem was I didn't disclose it to my investors. Mm. And because I didn't disclose it to my investors, I ultimately was charged with wire fraud and mail fraud charges and sentenced to ten years in federal prison. And um, of the 38 companies, were they all real estate deals? They were all real estate deals except for the property management company. Got so it. Okay. And how many years did you serve? I served seven and a half and then home confinement about another 10 months. So I went to prison thinking. Oh my goodness, my life is over. And Joe, I went from this upper middle class. I had a house and a car and a company that I was trying to keep afloat and never changed my lifestyle. So I never flew private, never bought Mm -hmm. big boats or big houses, big cars, and just tried to save everything, but lost everything Mm -hmm. um, as a result. So I went to prison after having this success and losing everything to now, being in prison in 12 by 12 room with three men I don't know, living out of two by five locker with three green uniforms and five pairs of underpants. What surprised you about prison? <laughs> what surprised me about prison? I think the biggest thing that surprised me about prison is how everybody in prison will come around you and support you and help you, will lift you up, will help you through. Because as mean as it is, as evil as it is, as dark as it is, And as much bad stuff that goes on behind the wall, people are generally good people. They come around you and they help you up. Here's what I mean. I'll give you an example. So I go to prison. I think my life is over. How the heck did I get here? What am I going to do now? I'm gone for 17 days. My wife decides to leave me. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: She tells me she's divorcing me. Now my life is really ruined. Mm -hmm. I walk around every day wondering how I got here and what am I going to do? I walk into gym one day, I'm there about six weeks, seven weeks. And I walk into gym and this guy walks up to me and he goes, hey, don't let these people beat you. All they Mm -hmm. want to do is beat you. They want to take everything from you that you have. They want to take your apartments, your businesses, your cars, destroy your family. But you have a choice. You can either do the time or let the time do you. And I made the decision to do the time. So as a result of that conversation, I started going to the gym. I started working out. I started losing weight, feeling better about myself. I wanted up going to college. I got a four-year bachelor's degree in theology. I wrote two books while I was gone, one on multifamily investing, one on property management. I'd actually love to give your listeners a copy of my multifamily book.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I wrote an ethics study course. I taught real estate and ethics for five years. I taught Bible studies. I was on an outreach program. I went into the community, told my story to small business owners, 40 times the local colleges. And I befriended a professor from the University of Minnesota. And we did a joint venture case study together, an ethical case study. And it gets taught at the college level. It just got published in the Business Journal of Ethics and gets taught at the collegiate level in forensic accounting, sales and marketing classes. So I really made the best of the time. Yeah, absolutely. And came home and that spurred me into the coaching and training space because I want to be able to give back. I want to be able to help people. Because here's why, Joe, I think there's too many guys and women who are in C-suites, who run companies, who own companies, who are under pressure every day, all day long. And that pressure can cause somebody to make, inappropriate choice, a bad decision, with all the good intention and meaning in the world, but that bad decision ends you up in a position where you don't want to be. And Mm -hmm. you don't necessarily need to go to prison, but you can very easily. Mm -hmm. So I tell that because I want people to understand to think things through everything that you do. Your gut is a great indicator. And if you're in a situation where you're having a hard time making a choice or a decision, reach out for help. And talk to somebody.
0: When you were transferring the money from one company to another, was your gut telling you "Eh, probably shouldn't be doing this?
1: Not really, because I had this guidance from my attorney and from our accountant, big firms. They weren't little firms. They weren't little guys. And I remember going to breakfast once a month with my accountant, asking him if we were doing anything wrong. And he said, no, if you were doing anything illegal, I'd have to stop working with you. This was a big six accounting firm. Mm -hmm. So comedy of errors, Joe, here's what I learned, right? I was over leveraged, paid too much for properties, didn't pay attention to the red flags, didn't listen to people around me when they were telling me that they didn't like some of the practices of some of the people around me. For example,
0: (laughs) now I'm not asking you to call out people's names or anything, but just what's an example of that.
1: Okay. So I'll just tell this real quick story. So I'm in Cincinnati in 2008, trying to close a 200 unit deal and the money's not being wired from my company. And I finally get my partner on the phone and he says, I don't know how to tell you this. And I'm like, so I'm, you, know, <laughs> you don't want to hear that. Yeah. That's not something you want to hear from your partner when you're sitting at a closing at 10 to five, waiting for $500,000 to close a deal. I had to move money from the escrow account to the business account. I thought I could have it back before closing and things didn't go well. I said, I told you before we went into this business that you'd never move money from an escrow account or between companies. He said, I know, but I thought I could do this. I said, okay. So I dry closed on the deal, just signed all the paperwork, went home, said I'd fund it by Tuesday. I was able to go home, raise the rest of the money, get that deal closed by Tuesday. I gave away some of my equity in order to do that. But that was Wednesday. I never talked to my wife about business, Joe.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I never told her anything. I might tell her, hey, we bought a couple of apartments or I got a new investor, but I never really got into detail. Well, we go to dinner on Friday night with my partner and his wife, and she doesn't know what happened on Wednesday, but on the way home, she says, I don't trust him. A clear oh, blue really? note. So what do I do as a good husband? I say, Oh, honey, don't worry. I have this under control. I didn't have anything under control, Joe. And when I should have said, tell me more about that. Tell me why. And a week later after that, I'm having lunch with my attorney and he said, man, I don't know what's going on over there, but I don't like some of the things he's doing. I said, oh, don't worry about it. I said, I'm watching. And I wasn't. So two things right in a row that I should have paid attention to. And I can tell you five or six other times that things happen not just with him, but in general, where we don't pay attention. We get going so fast. We don't take time to step back and think and look at things from a perspective or a vantage point that could help you.
0: You mentioned the over-leveraged and overpaid part, but in the example that you referenced in Anderson, Indiana, it wasn't either one of those, in my opinion, from what the little I know from what you said, it was picking the wrong sub-market. Because it was completely relying on one industry. What are your thoughts?
1: About yes, that? yes. Some of it was submarket, but I think some of it could have been helped if I wasn't so leveraged. If I would have been sixty-five percent loan to value, mm-hmm. things would have not been so expensive. The other thing is I didn't raise enough money, right? So by being over leveraged, by only having to, have to put ten percent down, I didn't raise enough money. And here's the other thing that I did. And Joe, I don't know if you were doing deals. I think you were doing deals back then. But the market was so hot and just going up so much in the multifamily space that it was like nothing was going to happen. I felt infallible. And as a result of that, I put in my offering documents that I wouldn't go back to my investors for a capital call.
0: Oh, you had no capital call clause.
1: Yeah. So my hands were tied. So, my personality says, Hey, you can't fail. Don't fail. If you fail, people aren't going to like you. So, as a result of that, I did not go to people and say, Hey, this is what's going on. When I should have, and if I would have, things would have been a lot different. Mm-hmm. You know, Joe, if I would have come to you and said, Hey, listen, here's what's going on. I think if we take the good positive cash flow from here, we move it over here for a period of time, we'll be able to substantiate the storm. You might've said yes, or you might've said no, and let me take the deal. There were all kinds of things that could have happened differently if I would have acted differently. I take full responsibility for my actions, but boy, did I learn some lessons and I hope people can learn from those lessons.
0: Thank you for sharing those lessons. There's a lot of lessons packed into this conversation that you've led, so I appreciate that. Let's take a step back and perhaps this recurring theme or, or something you've already talked about will be mentioned here, but I always ask this question to our guests. What is your best real estate investing advice ever?
1: Best real estate investing advice ever. <laughs> I come from a background of being a carpenter. So measure twice, cut once, check your numbers, double check your numbers. Make sure that you are looking at the early onset traps. Make sure that your buying strategy is solid and that things like population growth and job growth and household income make sense. The other thing is that I wrote this book, Exit Plan, Your Complete Guide to Multifamily Investing and Why You Need an Exit Plan. And I wrote it because I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on coaching and training and books and tapes over the years. And everybody teaches how to buy a deal, find a deal, get in a deal. Nobody teaches how to get out. Mm -hmm. And that's the planning process, right? Know when to get out, know how to get out. And that doesn't always mean selling. So I always tell people, look at all your options, plan your exit. Because Joe, we have that saying in real estate that says we make money when we buy the deal. And we do, but you don't realize it till you sell. So you got to get your capital.
0: I agree. If you go to a meetup, 90% of the conversation is going to be about acquisitions and what people have in the hopper. But the money is realized on the exit and the execution of the business plan. So that sounds like a much needed book. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? God, am I? All right, let's do it. Well, you can take a deep breath. And first, a quick word from our best ever partners. Mark your calendars for the Best Ever Conference February 24th through 26th back in person at the Gaylord Rockies Convention Center. Join the experienced community and phenomenal speakers for a weekend of learning the best commercial real estate strategies, building relationships, and quite frankly, having a lot of fun. As a bonus, once you purchase your ticket, you are put into a mini mastermind group to start making connections with other commercial real estate investors immediately. Get the lowest prices right now at besteverconference.com. That's com. All right, what's the best ever book you've recently read?
1: Well, I have to just say the best ever book I've read is The Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller. I think that that book has, for me over the years, given me core principles to go back to, refer to, to build a solid foundation on investment principles along the way.
0: I haven't read that one, but I read Millionaire Real Estate Agent, which is strange because I'm not an agent, but one thing I got from that book is your first hire should be an administrative assistant, and that was very helpful for me. Another thing I got from that book was people aren't in love with you, they're in love with the service that you provide. Therefore, if you bring on team members who provide similar or better service, then you can start removing yourself from that piece of the process.
1: Right. He's a very smart guy, Gary Keller.
0: He best ever way you
1: like to give back to the community? I like to serve. I think that over the years I have coached Little League, coached kids sports. I like to be that guy that offers up just some knowledge and wisdom that will help somebody else get a little bit better at what they do.
0: How can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing and check out your book, Exit Plan?
1: Thanks for asking. So I'm all over social media. Follow me, love me on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. And you can get a copy of Exit Plan at mycoreintentions.com forward slash exit plan. Go download a free ebook. And you can reach me directly at Mike at mycoreintentions.com. And I welcome any conversations, questions, thoughts, dialogue. I'm a huge networker and a connector. So I love doing that.
0: Mike, thank you for being on the show, sharing your story, lessons learned, and talking about some challenging times in your life. And I'm sure that's not doing it justice when I say challenging times, but talking about that and then where you went from there and what you're doing now and your book Exit Plan, which again, Most people talk about the acquisitions, but it's about the execution of the business plan and the exit. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have the best ever day and talk to you again soon.
1: Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Have a great day.